Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is the environmentalist Amboise Brenier. Amboise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Emma, for the invitation. So, Amboise, where does your passion for the environment come from? Were you passionate about the environment when you were a kid? I guess, yeah, it does come um, from my childhood. Um, I'm from France, but I used to live in French Polynesia when I was about 8 to 12 years old. I moved with the family over there, uh, and that's where I discovered coral reefs, this amazing ecosystem where, with my brother and friends. We spent a lot of hours swimming in this ecosystem and discovering all these amazing creatures and life and colors, shapes that you can find in coastal uh, coral reef ecosystems. I remember one day also being in a boat, uh, visiting some of these atolls and being on the outer slope of um, uh, of the coral reefs and jumping into the water and maybe nine years old and then bumping into sharks. So, and our first reaction with our brother was not to jump back straight on the boat, but actually to swim towards the sharks because of the fascination they we had for them and uh, so oh my god hadn't you seen the jaws movie weren't you terrified of sharks <laughs> uh probably i didn't see that yet so yeah the, the 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 first reaction when we saw a shark was actually going to see this amazing creature so fascination not uh, not fear as at least when you're a child and you're not seeing all those movies yet um so that's that gets uh, i guess that's when i got interested in in working in conservation, nature conservation. But what an amazing childhood. How come you were living out there? What did your parents do? Um, my father was working in the justice system uh, and as a judge. And uh, we, we were based in, when we left, we were based in the Nancy, East, um, East France. And then we moved every three or four years, basically. And uh, one of the one of the positions, one of the appointments was in French Polynesia for four years. Wow. So you decided from that experience you wanted to become a conservationist. How does one come go about becoming a conservationist? I studied biology at school, uh, at the university. Then I specialized in marine biology uh, during my master. Um, I did a lot of internships with uh, environmental groups, NGOs, government uh, department in charge of environment, especially in, in French tropical um, places in the Caribbean, for instance, um, to gain some practical experience with uh, environmental management, conservation, etc. While doing my studies more focusing on science, um, technical aspect of um, um, of um, ecology and uh, marine biology later. And then when I was when I ended my uh, master in marine biology, I had this opportunity either to go straight to conservation and work in Central Africa in a park as a park manager, which was everything I was dreaming of, being in the middle of the forest with the animals. Um, or I also got an opportunity, I got a scholarship to do a PhD, uh, focusing on coral reef and science, obviously. Um, and I was leaning towards the more practical conservation uh, Africa-based job, but I talked to my parents and they told me, oh, you need to do the PhD. So I did the PhD. 
and I'm glad I'm, I, I listened to my parents. I think that that was a good advice a few years later. So I did this PhD, and um, um, once I completed the PhD, I, I went back to, to conservation because that's really what um, uh, I was um, interested in, and all the um, science I learned, all the, the all the focus on research and um, on coral reefs and fisheries that I learned during my uh, PhD was is really useful uh, to do my job better. So you work for the Wildlife Conservation Society, which is a non-governmental organization headquartered at the Bronx Zoo in New York. And it aims to conserve the world's largest wild places. Tell me about the work you did with them in Madagascar. So I joined um, WCS in Madagascar uh, because I was really interested in Madagascar. I did part of my PhD in Madagascar. Then I moved to West Africa but I, I wanted to, to move back to Madagascar <clears throat> and work with the people there. And uh, so I had this chance to, to lead the marine program of the Wildlife Conservation Society in Madagascar. So I had a team of about 15, 20 people um, spread all around the coast, mostly southwest, northwest, and northeast of Madagascar. And we were working with communities and government uh, mostly to help communities better manage their uh, fish resources and also to establish uh, community-led uh, marine protected areas. And now you work as the country director for the Wildlife Conservation Society in Papua New Guinea. So what's the work that you're doing there? It's very similar to the, the, the work in uh, Madagascar, except that it's not only focusing on marine conservation, it's also uh, expanding to our responsibility over the terrestrial conservation program. So as the country director, I, I oversee both the marine program and the terrestrial conservation program. So working also um, um, to protect the rainforest in Papua New Guinea. But the approach is kind of the same. So you work through communities, through local governments, through government, etc. So it's working with people to help uh, provide resources and and, and and um, support to them so they can actually better manage their natural resources, both marine and forest. And is it like an amazingly beautiful place, Papua New Guinea? Papua New Guinea, yes, it's not very well known. Not many people go there. It's far away from my country, far away from the US, who is um, um, most of the time the main donor for um, conservation projects in, in developing countries. So it's a challenging place, not very, not very well known, but it's amazing place. Um, still, ve very much authentic. Um, not much mass tourism uh, yet. Um, forest is still covering seventy percent of the country. If I compare to Madagascar, ninety percent of the forest is already gone. Uh, seventy percent is still um, covering um, landmass in, in Papua New Guinea. And also the diversity, the cultural diversity is also exceptional with uh, about 1000 different indigenous groups, all with their own language, culture, traditions, um, who are, are living all around this country. So when you look at climate change and you look at what's being lost on the planet, do you get very depressed about this or, or are you able to stay optimistic? about the future? I guess we, 
we, we, while facing these two big crises for for conservation at least uh, climate change and biodiversity loss um the reports that are produced by the UN agencies or scientific um, groups attached to the UN every few years they they launch new reports showing the trends um in the um, increase in climate change and uh, the, also the the loss of biodiversity the last one was about saying that about 1 million species are threatened um to, to become extinct uh, because of human activity. So the reports do not look good, but if you look at how the, um, us as human, we did address some of the issues that we had to face in the past. For instance, if you look at the, um, the ozone layer um, and the gas that were depleting this ozone layer and creating this, this big hole in the, in the ozone layer, the International Committee came together with the Vienna Convention and the Montreal Protocol, um, and at the international level, they agreed that to do something about it, and today you don't hear about uh, ozone layer hole anymore because the problem has mostly been fixed. So when we when we come together and, and, and try to to achieve, to to address this problem, we, we, we can come up with a solution that works. Another example will be for uh, whales. Whales population of currently, is, for instance, unback whales, um, uh, population number have greatly increased in the past few years um, because the international community decided to ban whaling. And it works. The population is coming back. So nature has a, this incredible capacity to regenerate if uh, we don't put too much pressure on, the, on, on it. So uh, I'm quite optimistic that we can continue to find solutions um, to, to give more opportunity for nature to regenerate and uh, hopefully have a, a thriving wildlife also uh, when we get older and our children grow up. Well, that's great. So what advice would you give to those young people who are inspired by Greta Thunberg, who watch David Attenborough, who are passionate about protecting the environment? Um, to do, to, to continue this passion and to use this passion to influence the way they live in their family, um, their, how their parents live. Um, I guess kids can be good educators of, uh, of their parents um, and, and create some behavior change in the household that um, reduce the, the carbon footprint or waste that we produce in each household. Um, so that, that would be one. The second one, when they grow up and they have the power to vote, is to um, look carefully at the program of the, uh, of the, the people that apply for the, for the position and make sure to vote for people that uh, do have a strong program to address climate change, biodiversity loss, in addition to, um, to the other sectors that they want to address. Um, and finally, if they want to work in that sector to, to find their passion, their niche within climate change or biodiversity or water conservation, etc., and pursue, um, um, do some, um, yeah, to go to the university and learn more about it and hopefully uh, secure a job to, to work directly on nature conservation um, while they grow up. Well, Ambroise, you have one of the best jobs in the world. 
thank you for everything that you're doing to protect our planet, to conserve nature. And thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you very much, Emma.